Hello, I'm Neil Scott, one of the founders of Ungagged. About 20 years ago, I was sent a survey that asked, to what extent did music influence your politics? I filled in the survey, and I've, I've often thought about it since, because I really don't think I filled it in very well for a number of reasons. One being that when I was young, a complex but particularly wild member of my family was privately ridiculed for saying music was his life. I should have understood that the ridicule was a bit of cultural self-loathing that the working class are imbued with from birth. Our cultural lives are often ridiculed by the political and cultural hegemony. The labels high and low culture are laden with the implication that pop culture and working class culture and indeed language is automatically inferior. More on all of that another time. Music to me is an integral part of my life. I'm not a musician. I wasn't afforded those opportunities as a young person. Hopefully something I can correct sometime soon. Listening to pop, rock, punk, post-punk, new wave and all of its various forms in the 70s, 80s and 90s in particular helped to educate me and politicise me. I've decided to do a podcast for Ungagged now and again to express my gratitude to the artists who helped form me and in my opinion much of the left during times of conflict and class war. Today I'm going to focus on a song I first heard in 1971 and one that still inspires me. Of course, I'd known about this group and some of its members way before this, but sometime around 1978 I saw a documentary about them, and it kind of blew my mind. I remember standing in our living room, my dad dressed in his best box-cut leather jacket, I wish I had that now, smelling fresh and clean in a cloud of aftershave as we were about to brave checkpoints and the Ulster weather to drive to my grandparents' On our usual Friday night visit, I watched as they climbed onto the stage, sat in the centre of Shea Stadium in August 1965, to scream so loud they couldn't hear themselves perform. And that was one of the reasons why the Beatles stopped performing live. I immediately looked for ways to listen to everything they did, from borrowing tapes from the library, discs from friends, and buying 45s from one of those booklets you used to get that sold vintage records. This group was probably the first group outside punk that made me reassess the world around me, politically and culturally. And one song in particular by one of its members, written and recorded after Paul McCartney dissolved the group, made me think, this world is structurally not fair, it needs to change. Coming up, my take on a classic that is so politically potent it is still radicalising people over 50 years after its first release. is on Twitter at underscore ungagged, Facebook, Instagram and leftungagged.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube. Be part of the Left Ungagged. Help us fight back against a media dominated by Murdoch, Paul Dacre and the right-wing, mysteriously highly funded spectator and right-wing think tanks of Tufton Street. Every small donation goes to helping us with our podcasting, website and campaigns. We're on Ko-fi and PayPal. The links are on our Twitter X profile and on our website. I grew up in the very divided and violent Northern Ireland. 
my high school, the state school or Protestant school, was not a place I liked to be. I was an A pupil most of the way through until it mattered the last year and a half or so when literally battered and bruised I gave up on studying and just wanted out of this place that I'd never felt safe in. The people who kicked, punched and threw me through windows summed up all I grew to hate. They had a way of wearing their school uniform that I made sure I did the opposite of. Big knots and ties, big collared top shirt, button open, metal tip brogues, Nazi badges, UVF badges. My tight knotted ties were turned around and made skinny with the fat part tucked into my small collared shirt, top button resolutely closed. Soft moccasins or black trainers, a hatred for all paramilitary and no respect to the point of piss-taking of any Protestant marching military-ish-like organisations like the Orange Order. The year after I left high school and its failures, three years after me discovering the phenomena of the Beatles, I went to the local technical school. The English teacher who was from across the border, someone foreign and from outside this place I was in that seemed to crush and drain was great. She really encouraged my writing. But I was not kind of teenage thing where I had no confidence and rejected any enthusiasm for any aspect of me from adults. She still managed to squeeze A's out of me. It was a year of stretching my wings and of discovering the world, dyeing my hair, experimenting with clothes, drinking and for the first time in years not having that awful physically painful stress that comes with having to turn up to a place where you're going to leave feeling mentally and at times physically tortured, a feeling that was to return in many a workplace that I ended up in. It was, when I look back, a time when I was free. Another class I went to in one of those temporary outdoor hut-like things that became permanent classrooms in Thatcher's draining of the things that mattered was taken by a long-haired bloke who I know went on to work at an outdoor pursuit centre. I really can't remember what his class was, but I do remember him being like no other teacher I'd had. He was this happy, free and interesting bloke who seemed to be enthusiastic about what he was teaching and I remember thinking to myself, within the container, the framework that I had been squeezed into. Should he be saying that? My classmates' attack were a real mixture, Catholics and prods, and all of the teenage uniforms were represented from a scar-loving bloke from near Newry to Shill, that was his nickname. His name was David Topping, a wild guy from Lurgan, who rather than being scared of, I got on really well with. He shared a dislike for the posers who had been rejected from the local grammar school to join us and had the same rebellion going on and what he wore, dyeing his hair and his preference to be playing pool, drinking beer and shouting at the world. Shill died the following year having a heart attack while having his appendix removed. He was 18 years old. I remember a guy who was really just a follower of the posers, trying to take the piss out of me. I remember thinking that I was never going to allow anyone to treat me in the way that some of the fuckers treated me in high school. One of the classes I took was surveying. I remember being out on the local hockey club pitch, me and my mate, Tam Moore, and the Egypt trying to take the piss in some way. I remember my eclectic dress sense, long overcoats, double-breasted denim jacket, punk t-shirts, boxer boots and my hair dyed burgundy, shaved up the sides, long bushy, gel spiked in places on top 
I was a target. Anyway, I remember summoning up bravado, walking up to this guy who was acting hard and pushing the surveying pole I was holding into the grass between his feet and levered it up into his balls. I'm not sure what I said to him and his poser leaders, but I never had any bother with him again. And although I had, of course, heard Imagine and loved it and owned a copy, Lennon had died just two years before, I'd never actually read the lyrics of the song before. And there they were, on the hippie's temporary classroom wall, defiantly challenging all around me in this place where religion burned people from their homes, tore people apart, ripped them from life, and art was strangled. Reading those lyrics in full and understanding them felt as much of a revolutionary act as breaking the bullies and sitting beside my best friend of the year, a Catholic, and extolling peace and harmony and forgiveness, something I still couldn't get my head around as I confronted our souls with surveying poles and later fists and boots. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. That verse summed up this place of division and gave a solution. What if the walls in this place at the top of the island of Ireland didn't exist? John Lennon said of the song that was finished in two takes, Imagine is anti-religious, anti-conventional and anti-capitalist, but because it's sugar-coated, it's accepted. became part of my core, this rebellion against the walls that confined us. And it still is. It's sugarcoating the beautiful soundscape, almost church-like piano, and Lennon's voice that bleeds sincerity. Lennon was, of course, a very troubled man and controversial. His abuse of some of the women in his life is undeniable, but it would be an appeal to hypocrisy to deny the power of this song. Years later, in my 30s here in Scotland, I read a book by a left-wing political Scotsman, Alan McCombs, credited at the time as Tommy Sheridan, but Sheridan, a highly controversial figure, never wrote a word in it. It was simply titled Imagine, and McCombs spoke about how the song had inspired him in his fight against Thatcher and the right. After reading it and its solutions, I had to get involved in helping to change Scotland. Look, go listen to the song. Read those lyrics. I guarantee you they will inspire you. I have the words framed up on my kitchen wall and they take me back to being 16 and like a flatlander realising I was not seeing the whole picture of what the world could be. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer. Let me know your thoughts on Imagine, The Beatles, and what songs inspired you as a 16-year-old. Contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or on our YouTube channel. Join me again soon as I continue to explore my world of radical music. By the way, if you're interested in more ramblings about uh, my experiences of music in trouble-torn Northern Ireland, I write for Blitzed magazine. Um, You'll find 
Blitzed Magazine's website and some of my writing there. 